Hi, Britt. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, as I do every week, um, maybe just, you know, like um, turning the time machine back into um, maybe either your first you witnessing substance or uh, your own, you know, like your own first contact with substance. Yep. Uh, it was probably when I was 11 or 12 that kids around me first started smoking pot. I always hung out with older kids. Um, so there was a lot of that, you know, it was the early, uh, well, by then it was the early eighties and there was a lot of it around. And then I would say when I was probably 14 or 15, that use turned into more hallucinogenics, a lot of acid, um, you know, a lot of, a little bit of mescaline, a little bit of mushrooms, um, but more of the hallucinogenics. And those were really the drugs that I was familiar with when I was in my early teens. Was there, uh, was there, um, use in your own family? What, what was the family picture? Yeah, my dad, never from my mom, never, never, never. My dad drank a lot, um, you know, socially, but to the annoying point, I have a feeling that he used cocaine just from his circle of friends, but we never saw it. We saw him being really annoying when he was drinking, um, and the fights that that would cause with my mother. But I think as an adult, I became aware that there had been more to his usage, but we did not see that to his credit. And no, um, him confessing or telling you that he was using no, something we else. No, never talked or, about it. Mm -mm. And what was the family picture like? Any brothers and sisters and all? Yep. I have a an adopted brother who's about four or five years younger than I am. I was seven and he was three when we adopted him from Korea. Um, and then my father had three children who were older than I was from his first marriage. Um that never lived with us, but would come stay with us. You know, they were like eight, 10 and 12 when I was born. So they were a little bit older um, and they were kind of in and out of the home, but never lived with us. What was the dynamic like? Between us, between the kids? Yeah. Um, they, as bitter as I think they were about my father leaving their mother, his first wife, they loved me. They doted on me. They spoiled me. My older uh, half-brother was my, you know, I think there's actually a family joke that when I was three or four and you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I'd say my older brother's name. I wanted to be Chucky when I grew up. Um, I absolutely idolized him and they loved and spoiled me. Um, you know, as I said, we didn't live in the same household, so yeah. I don't think I was ever around enough to be annoying to them. Um, but they were, they were very good siblings to me when they were around. But no influence from them. No, musically, <laughs> my brother, my older brother, I'm sure he was messing around with stuff. He was very into, you know, what was that then? Led Zeppelin and all those bands. Yeah. Um, and I remember him playing them for me and my mother getting mad that they were bad influences. Um, but they kept that stuff, whatever they were doing, they kept it away from me. Yeah. And so you said that around 11, 12, what was the initiator pre-pressure or... Um, what was 
was the initiator. I was drinking by the time I was 13 and 14. So that was really a gateway. I was extremely self-destructive as a, um, as a teenager and drinking was, you know, legal in that we could buy it in a store, get someone to buy it for us. And it was super, super cheap. So we drank a lot. Um, and I think that the drugs came later when I had some disposable income you know, when you're, when you're a kid running around on the streets, $2 for a pint of Thunderbird isn't hard to get, you know, yeah. 20 bucks for a hit of acid would have been a lot harder. That's different. So we, yep. Yeah. We really stuck to alcohol until I got a little bit, probably 16 or 17 when the hallucinogenics started. Can you elaborate on the self-destruction part? I was an angry kid. I was angry. I was hurt. I self-harmed. I drank. I ran myself ragged. I ran away um, twice um, to the extent that the police were involved. One time I made it as far as Florida. Um, when I was 15, I made it as far as Florida. From? From New York. From wow. New York City. Yeah. That's a good stretch. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a 13-state APB for me, out for me, and they finally picked me up in... Um, in Daytona Beach in Shit. Florida. So itch hiking or? No, we had friends. Uh, what happened there? I had a friend. It was February. It was cold in New York. We had nowhere to stay. I had a friend who had a friend who had a car and thought it would be fun for us to go to Florida where at least it was warm. So we made it all the way to Florida. And I think I was there for three or four days before you know, did, the cops pulled where, us over. Where did anger originated from? My parents had a rough marriage. They were very, very, very unhappy. And they were one of those, um, they were one of those marriages that stayed together for the kids, which is just so ironic to me because we would have been so much better if they had split up. Um, but they stayed together for the kids and also because, you know, it was financially easier. Um, and, um, you know, there was just a lot of, I, there was a lot of anger in the household. My father had a really horrible temper. He never hurt me, but he, his temper terrified me. He and my mother fought constantly. My mother was super depressed. It was, it was kind of a messed up family dynamic and I was sort of the squeaky wheel. So it wasn't hidden. It was out in, out in the open that they weren't mm -hmm. happy about it. Yeah. So Coming yeah. to your teenager, you know, like your, your teens, you're just pissed off at anything. I was pissed off. I, you know, felt misunderstood. My mother was very, very strict. My father was very, very angry. There were just so many things to rebel against, you know, having a kid now, I, it's funny because I get into this, these conversations with my mother where she's like, why did you let her dye her hair blue? And I'm like, why not? Like, why would I make a rule about like, that's just, I'm going to pick my battles because it doesn't matter if her hair is blue. And my mother was very much the opposite and laid down the law about everything. There was just so much to rebel against. And the more they tried to control me, the more I fought it. And it, 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 it's funny because it's, um, you know, like the, the argument is always I'm preparing them for how strict life is, you know, which is a fucked up way of thinking about it because you're like, well, just fucking enjoy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to come yep. much sooner than you think, you know, like you're going to be caught in that 
just web of, you know, like too many rules and too many yeah. conformity, you know, like just be conformed to, you know, like to whatever, you know, like yep. wear, wear a suits and, you know, like, you know, like, and don't dye your hair and don't wear perfume. You know, like I've heard that don't wear cologne. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, in my parenting, I want what I say to my kid to make sense. I want her to understand so that I teach her to think. My parents went more for blind obedience and things that didn't make any sense, you yeah. know? And so I fought it. I mean... Oh no, for sure. And, 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 yeah. and I totally get it. You know, like even with, uh, cause I, you know, my next question is around, you know, like the, the first exter external relation with authority is actually school. Um, what was re your relation with school? School was hard because my parents, my mother, it was very important to my mother that we go to private school. <laughs> And what that meant was that although we had no money, I was constantly in school with children whose families had a lot of money, um, which was uncomfortable and shaming. I never had the name brand pants. You know, all these things seem so silly now, but I always stuck out. I was always an outsider. My parents, you know, in New York City, the thing to do was to have a country house where you went on the weekends. We never had country homes. We never went on vacation. Um you know, my parents fought constantly about money. So I was always on the outs. I mean, I, I went to good schools, but I think that my own, um, my own self-consciousness got in the way a lot and my own feelings of being an outsider really, you know, it's sort of like the chicken and the egg. I'm not sure if I was an outsider and then I felt like I was an outsider. So I acted like an outsider or maybe I was acting like an outsider and that's why they treated me like one. Um, but you know, it was, it, it was, it was hard for me to be in school and being, you know, running away at 13 and 15 sure didn't help me make any friends or fit in. And at the same time, what was your, you know, like, how were your grades? You know, like what was your relation with, you know, like teachers and, and, you know, like all of that new frame of, mm -hmm. of authority. What was your my relation teachers, with it? Yeah, my teacher, I mean, because they were very small, very liberal schools, my teachers liked me. I got along well with them. I did well because I was a smart kid. I didn't really care about a lot in school. Um, but if you could put something in front of me and show me why it mattered, I really loved it. I read voraciously, um, just constantly. So, I had good, I had good relationships with my teachers mostly and none of the schools that I went to with the exception of one that I was only in for three or four months before I got expelled. None of them were very authoritarian. They were very easygoing, like kids sit on pillows and the, on the floor sort of schools, which is probably why it worked. And then the one that was very strict, I was expelled from within months. And did the, um, did the use um, influenced that, that kind of, you, you know, like your relation with school and in relation with your mom and the relation with, you know, like the, the household in general? No, not at that point. My, you know, my, um, I mean, I was drinking a lot, but it didn't affect my life at that point. It didn't affect my life until much later. Um, or my health until much later. So, and my mother never really, my parents had a weird attitude 
I mean, it wasn't weird. I get it now. They never wanted me to not come home if I had been on drugs because my mother felt very strongly that the only thing worse than my doing drugs would be my doing drugs in New York city and being afraid to come home. So I don't remember ever hiding it from them. I remember coming home and like stinking of whatever we had bought for a dollar 23 a pint. Um, and she was just like, Oh my God, what, like, did you roll in someone who died? What do you, you know, and she knew I smelled like alcohol, but so I think what I'm trying to say is it didn't really create any friction because there weren't serious repercussions for my drug use um, or for my alcohol use. And so, so high school finishes on what note? High school finished. I mean, I graduated from a very small, very liberal high school. I think we had about 15 or 20 kids in my graduating class. Um, and I, um, I moved to California for three weeks. (laughs) It turned out that everyone, I moved there to be with my best friend who had graduated the year before. What I didn't know was that in the year that she'd been in California, she and all of her roommates had started doing ice, which never was a big drug in New York city, but I know it terrorized the West coast. Um, so I really didn't know anything about it, but when I got out there, they were all just in so much trouble. And, you know, the household looked like homeless people. It was awful. It was an awful situation. Um, I had a couple of really scary experiences there. And I think it took me three weeks to pack back up and come back to New York city. Cause this is a different league. Yeah, it really was. Cause we're talking about, you know, for those that don't know, we're talking met level. Yeah very bad, very dangerous. Um, she actually, she just died about a year and a half ago, um, from her, her family said a heart attack, but I, I know, you know, I still, I'm almost 50 and I still have friends that are dying from drugs, which is just heartbreaking to me. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, like it's a different, you know, like it, it's a full, paradigm shift Mm -hmm. in terms of relation with you know like your dealer relation with money relation with your friendship you know like that Mm -hmm. it becomes like a it's a different league you know like so so you you're stealing from anything that moves you know like you you you, for your for your own survival you know like so yeah that was the first group of friends that i had whose life was actually you know, who were actually disabled from their drug use. It was much more recreational where I had come from, like at the clubs on Friday night, yeah. not the situation where your whole life revolves around getting it and doing it. That was my first real interaction with people who were with that far gone. Addicts with addicts. true, yeah, with yeah. true addiction. Yep. So you come back from there traumatized, I guess, you know, like, you know, like uh, in shock. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty awful. Um, and then I just kind of started sliding down. I, um, let's see from there, I started bartending in New York city, which is a pretty rough lifestyle. Um, but again, it's a classic. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, there aren't going to be any surprises in this story. Why, why (laughs) not gravitate around it? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I started um, bartending at biker bars in New York City. Um, you know, drugs were given as tips. Um, I remember we had to work New Year's Eve 
And that shift went from like five or six in the evening until 11 or 12 the next day. And you had to work the whole shift. And I remember I had this visceral memory of the manager putting out a mirror that was about a foot in diameter and there was a pile of cocaine on it. And that was just sitting on his desk in the office. And he's like, you stay up any way you need to, but you have to be here until 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. And we were just given carte blanche, you know, to use as much cocaine as we needed to get through the night. Um, but it was just, you know, that started a period of my life where drugs were free for me. And that is a scary place to be in because one of the only things that limits our drug use is how much we can afford. And if it's free, you know, I was never out of it. And that, that was a really steep decline. And what was your, you know, like any, any, um, scholarity you know like um academic goal at the time you know like leaving high school yeah i yeah i started at that point i was in and out of college i started a college i had wanted very much to go away to a couple of different colleges and my mother really didn't want me to leave the city so i settled for a college that was in new york city that we could afford i hated it so it really didn't anchor me Uh, And I wound up dropping out in the second or third year because it was just so boring to me. But in that whole interim, I was bartending. I was uh, getting a job at a really famous New York City nightclub. um, And it just sort of catapulted me into just, you know, pretty much a six or seven days a week, up all night, working all night, sleeping all day, lots of drugs, lots of drinking. And it was a couple of years of that. And so it becomes kind of your new career path all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a career path. I really, honestly, at that point, I really didn't think that I'd live much past 22, 23, 24. Already? You Mm -hmm. already had that, that kind of that thinking? Yeah. And not in like, not in a fatalistic sort of way. I just couldn't. I had no vision. I had no, it wasn't like I'm messing myself so up so much. I'm going to die. It was just, I don't see it. I don't see 25. I don't see 30. I don't see a kid. I don't see, it just was all dark. There was yeah, no vision. And, and, and yeah, 40 is way too old. You know, like <laughs> I remember, yeah. I'm 44 now and I remember just thinking, no, you know, yeah. like I, I'm not going to be that old. Exactly. Fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't like a fatalistic. It was just like, it's blank. I can't imagine going past 23 or 24 or 25. I, I often ask that question, but is there a time during that period that there are the first few seeds of waking up and just thinking even, you know, like I, I hear you about, you know, like not seeing the future, but just the first few seeds of that can't be it. You know, like that's, that's not. It was more so this, this, this is bad. (laughs) This is not going to be sustainable. And I remember two times where I really thought I'm in trouble. This is really, really bad. And one was when I woke up at 
three or four in the afternoon and I had to do a line of Coke just to get out of bed and get up and get ready for the night ahead of me. And then the second time that I remember just thinking, this is really bad and I'm in trouble. Um, my, my best friend at the time and I were bartending at the same bar and someone had given us, you know, you know, the old film canisters that they used to use for film. So we had tapped a dealer on the back and made him give us you know, his drugs. And he had given us a film canister of cocaine to take into the bathroom. And we were sitting there in the bathroom doing lines of Coke. And every time we'd cap the canister and get ready to leave the bathroom, one of us would say, you know what, let's just do one more. And at some point I had this, like, like my vision zoomed out and I could see myself from above. And I thought, I can't leave the bath. Like I'm stuck here. I can't leave the bathroom. I can't put this canister down and walk away from it. And I had this like almost panic attack. Like, how am I going to walk away from the cocaine? Like, how am I going to put this down and walk out of the bathroom? And that was when I thought, Oh shit, this is, this is really, this is a problem. This is bad. This is scary. And you still living with your parents at the time? I was in and out of their place. I lived with them. Then I got an apartment and then that fell through. And then I lived with them and then I moved into a boyfriend's and then that fell through. And then I lived with them. So I was in and out. And, um, so that becomes kind of a, like a day to day thing. How long does it last before you, 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 you kind of say, I got to find a job, you know, like a, like a, a real job or, you know, like, and I don't know, you know, like, so, mm-hmm. so you tell me, Britt, you know, like, is there a time where you say, well, I need like a stable job or, or, uh, a less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happened was I got really sick. I contracted Epstein-Barr virus, um, which is a failing of the immune system. Sh- not shockingly, uh, cause I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't eating and I was just doing drugs and drinking all night, every night. And it's um, not viral, right? It's your system just shutting down or it's, it, um, it lives in your, it's similar to the herpes virus in that it lives in your system and it, 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 it basically causes your immune system to not work. So like herpes, it's incurable. And what happened was I got so sick that I couldn't stand like for like six weeks, I had to sit on the toilet to brush my teeth. I couldn't even stand long enough to brush my teeth. And it crippled me. And I had to quit my nightclub job. Um, I think I, like I broke up with my boyfriend. Like It just caused this cataclysm of you know, the first awareness that I had that I actually wasn't guaranteed a working body. And it was terrifying. My brain was okay, but I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk to the corner store. I couldn't and that even... must freak you out initially. It was terrifying. I terrifying. Mean, I had to sit in the bathtub to shower because I couldn't stand long enough to shower. And it was terrifying. And I was something like 21 or 22. And that was the first inkling that I had that this, this whole thing, this whole body working thing, it's not guaranteed. And if we abuse it enough, it will stop working. And so that really was the beginning of my ascent up where I realized that, you know, it actually was possible that I would kill myself doing these drugs and that my body would not be able to work anymore. Um, and that I, I would lose it all. And that started a really slow progression. Um, it took a couple of years to fully get out of that scene, to go back to school, um, 
and to get clean to stop using completely because the 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 stopping came while you were trying to recover from this disease yeah you know i was really lucky in a number of different ways one is that heroin and some of the other heroin crack ice i never use those um unless they had been snuck into something I was already using. It was mostly Coke and, and copious amounts of alcohol. And once I decided that this was not working anymore, you know, sometimes I almost feel a little guilty about it, but I pretty much just stopped. I got out of the bar scene. I relapsed a couple of times, um, but they were like upsetting emotion. I knew exactly why it happened. And I just sort of removed myself from the scene. And it also just had terrified me so much that my body stopped working, that it was really motivational. Um, and I just started rebuilding and getting away from those people, getting away from that lifestyle. Um, I found a college that I loved and went back to school, got really involved in some different things um, and just kind of left it behind. What did you wanted um, your career path to be at? You know, when you get got back in school. So I got a job teaching um, male inmates at uh, on Rikers Island, which is New York City's jail system. It's actually ten different jails on one island, um, and I loved it. I loved teaching. I loved working with inmates. I really loved the challenges and the slight danger of the job. You know, it fed all those thrill seeking. Where did that come from? Uh, here's the nutshell version. Um, what's the nutshell version? The nutshell version <laughs> is that I was working a series of really dumb jobs, like babysitting, just no, no future jobs. And I had a boyfriend who has been my friend since I was 17. He's still my friend. And for two of those years, we were dating and living together. And he had, he made a lot of money and he saw me working a job that I just hated and doing nothing with my life. And he made me a deal. He said, I'll tell you what, I will support you for one year. And in that year, you can only do things that you love. You can't work any jobs just for money and you can't do anything that you don't really enjoy. And so I took him up on it because that's an amazing offer. Absolutely. I plunged into a deep depression <laughs> the first few weeks because I didn't have anything to do. I didn't know what to do with myself. I had never not worked. And then I came up with an idea um, to teach women in the New York City shelter system um, to teach literacy through a women's studies focus. I just came up with it. I just thought that would be really cool to teach women how to read and write by telling their own stories and reading about other women. And I developed a curriculum and I took it to someone who was running a program for women in shelters. And it didn't work because the women in the shelter system didn't have the luxury of sitting in a classroom. They had to be doing all these other things and trying to get housing and trying to get their kids into school. But I knew that the idea was good. So I looked for a similar population that I could teach it to that had more time on their hands. And I thought of women in jail. But then when I actually brought it to the woman who headed up the New York City um, adult education in the jail system, they didn't have room for, uh, there's only one facility on Rikers Island that's women, whereas there are nine or 10 that are men. They didn't need anyone at the women's facility. So she said, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you to teach the men. And I was terrified at first. And then I thought, sure, let's try it. 
And so that's where I started. And so you, you targeted your academic studies into teaching or? Yeah, I, I went back to college. I finished an undergraduate degree um, and loved the college so much that I immediately enrolled in their master's program just because I loved going. I got a master's degree in adult education by focusing on prison education um, and alternative education for um, special populations. Um And then I wound up teaching uh, in a women's maximum security prison. By then I had my daughter and I didn't want to be away from her all the time. Her father left when she was very young. So it was just myself and my daughter. And I started my own business at that point while waitressing and bartending um, at night. And at at the time, you were already sober or it was a work in progress? Nope. I've never been completely sober. I haven't used drugs in 23 years. Um, I drink a little red wine every once in a while. With my immune system, alcohol generally just puts me to sleep. So it's not really fun for me to drink. Uh, But I I do love a little red wine every once in a while. Um, But no, I never got completely sober. I just stopped using drugs. And I really, after one or two relapses before I was 25, I never went back. And so my guess is that all of the fraternities um, never you know, like it, it never kind of called you or, or, you know, like you never feel, felt a call for them or you, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm speaking AA and NA uh, and all these places. I went to A and NA a couple of different times. Um, they didn't resonate for me. I did a lot of studying on the addictive brain, um, actually within the last 10 or 15 years. And the the approaches that I really love and that really resonated for me are more like Dr. Gabor Mate um, and Deepak Chopra, who think of addiction as, you know, a very, a very normal response to pain. What doesn't work is the tool. So you have to figure out what the pain is and then figure out a better tool. And that really worked for me. So things like working with a life coach, therapy, um, spirituality, those things really helped me to figure out what was hurting. And once I figured out what was hurting, I, you know, the drugs were just a way to make the hurting go away. So I didn't really need them. I mean, I've never, I've never missed them. Or craved. No, I mean, but I have, I also have other things like if I have a really bad day, I want a bowl of hot buttered popcorn. And that sounds funny. And it's like, well, you can't compare that to cocaine, but I'm still soothing a pain by eating. Um, you know, or I want to, if I'm really depressed, I'll, I'll binge watch a show. I'm still soothing a pain with an addictive substance that doesn't actually confront the pain. So I've never felt like, you know, I see where I'm using addictive behavior to soothe myself, but obviously it doesn't have the same harm level. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's funny that, you know, like, it's funny how you describe it. You know, like I, I, there's that almost lifelong debate about, you know, like if it's genetic or not, you know, like, is it, is it, is, is the obsessive compulsiveness running in my blood or not? You know, I can, and I, I often use the kind of the, anal- not the analogy, but the story of, um, 
my my father I, I think i'm five or six and my father on at spring tells tells me that you know like um how to empty and my father's nothing but an you know like he's not an addict at all you know like doesn't know what what abusing substance is my grandfather does but not my father um and he shows me for pure physics lesson how to do like the um i don't know what you call it but the like you, you pull from a tube to empty the gasoline yeah. from yeah, yeah, that yeah. snowmobile you know so, only for a it's a physics lesson you know like it's i'm five like i said i'm f between five and seven so i don't know what drug use substance abuse i have no idea i've seen you know like like i said my grandfather likes to take a, a good drink my grandma too but you know like there's christmas party are well drenched in alcohol but you know like there's nothing of I, you know, like I, I can identify this as, you know, like substance abuse. And, um, I tell that story because it's my way of confirming in me that, you know, like it was something that I had already in me. Mm -hmm. Um, so as I'm, I'm doing it, I miss a few times and, you know, like the, the vapors mm -hmm. gets me high and I'm convinced that more than 90% of kids that would have gone through that would have been terrified, mm. but I wasn't. I actually fucking enjoyed it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, and wanted to re repeat it, you know, cause you know, like a big eye, you fall down within a few minutes and I, you know, like I wanted to yep. repeat that. And, um, but I, I'm convinced that, you know, like any other, let's say, quote unquote, normal kids right. wouldn't have that reaction to that. Right. And so, it, you know, like, it's funny because you talk about, you know, like eating a bowl of popcorn. But, you know, like I, I still have in me that if I let myself go, I can get myself sick eating popcorn, eating candies. You know, yep. like I, I can get myself sick. Um <laughs> eating yeah. i can get myself sick um actually feel sick by bad managing my money mm -hmm. you know like so so um yeah so so it's it's a it's a long debate that you know like i've i've i'm i'm it, it, I, I'm not sure still if it reassures me, <laughs> but you know, like I'm, I'm still always thinking about this. So when you say, you know, like I'm, I'm comforting myself with, you know, like a binge watching a TV series, mm -hmm. fuck, you know, like I'm, I probably have done it a few times, you know, like where, you know, like it, it, but at the same time, there's something that I kind of embrace, you know, like saying, well, you know what? Let's binge watch, you know, right. like a, <laughs> sure. let's suit this by binge watching and mm -hmm. let's suit this by, as you said, you know, like eat a bottle of popcorn and well, you know, it's a bottle of popcorn. You right. know, it's fun. I, I just started training. Yeah. You know, like I, I, my son is four and, um, I started training again after more than four years of being stopped and, and, um, I was just crazy training and now it's all about you know like being careful what i eat what you know like how much i train not yep. over train have lower back problems so i need to be careful about that but then again you know like it's it's um i i registered a race 
during the Black Friday weekend, mm -hmm. I registered a race and I had a choice between like a 5K, 10K and 20K. <laughs> and I was like, eh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the 5K type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you choose 20? No. See, that's where, that's where I, I find wisdom. <laughs> the 10, you went for the 10. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I know that this is a sign of, call it maturity, call yeah. it wisdom. You know, like this is a sign of me just, because my, my first um, kind of, okay, you know, like, um, I dare you kind of intern conversation, um, <laughs> internal conversation was I fucking dare you to do the 20. And I was like, no, Alex, you know, are you nuts? You, you know, like a middle a, ground. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I totally relate to what you're saying. And so how did you work that? You know, like uh, my guess is that the, the fact that you fell sick made it a bit easier. You mean to quit? like eating a bowl of popcorn or to quit no 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 drugs. just just your relation with substance in general i mean i did you know i'm a huge fan of inner work and self-work i work on myself exhaustively so some of this was really you know starting to heal the things that hurt that made me wanted to soothe um some of it was awareness um, you know, some of it was just, um, maturity. Some of it was replacing it with healthier, uh, tools. Some of it was replacing it with more respect for myself. Some but of it did was falling sick, Brit initiated that very, that was really a catalyst. That was really the first clue that I had that <laughs> the body didn't have to work Yeah, and that it could get really bad. So that really was a catalyst for sure. Because I had tons of books about, you know, like uh, self-help and almost low Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And I went in therapy. <laughs> yep. Well, the other thing is, is that with this illness, so I'll have Epstein-Barr my whole life. I yeah. can... I can be healthy if I take care of myself. If I go a couple days without sleeping well, if I don't eat well, if I stress a lot, I comes get sick back again. Yeah. Never as bad as it originally did, but I have an insanely busy life. I don't want to be in bed for three or four days. I don't want to be exhausted. So it's, it's kind of neat because it's like this constant threat that my health is not guaranteed and it, this, this virus can kick my legs right out from under me. If I don't take care of myself, it makes me really amazing at self-care. I have better self-care than almost anyone I know, because I know that I'll get sick if I don't take care of myself. Almost like military regimen where, you know, like you I have know. to, you know, like by that time you need to be too, too bad. And, yeah. and so, yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I go to bed early. You know, I move my body. I get sunlight. I take vitamins. I drink a lot of water. I watch my sugar. I take really good care of myself. I say no to things. I put up boundaries. Um, you know, and, and it's not like if I miss a night of sleep, I'll get sick tomorrow, but I know that I only have so much. My body will only accept so much if it wants to keep the energy and activity level that I have going. So and I is work there, like is it documented enough 
is that sickness documented enough to kind of know that this helps or or you you, um, you kind of go by the feeling there's not a lot known about epstein-barr but what they do know is that it attacks or depletes your immune system they do know that you know i mean i just my guidelines are what boosts my immune system So that's what I'm kind of working with. It's not really like a secret weapon against Epstein-Barr. It's just how do I keep my immune system functioning? And those things like not too much caffeine, not too much sugar, sleep, healthy food, exercise, sunlight, those are all just really great go-tos for your immune system. And you can't be wrong about this, actually. You can't actually, be wrong right? about them, no. <laughs> I'm not going to ever err getting my face in the sun for 20 minutes every day. Exactly. You know? You're eating too right, Brit. Yeah. You're like, you must stop that. Too You're much like, kale. Oh. Knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, fucking kale. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> um, and so you, you told me about your daughter. How old is she now? She's 14. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the party has started. <laughs> she's she's a great kid, though. She's the opposite of me. She gets straight A's. She's a good kid. You know, I mean, she got she got the rewards of a lot of what I thought went wrong with me. So, you know, I've I've never been really strict. I'm firm. And, you know, I ask a lot of her. Um, Rigorous. Yeah, but my rules make sense and I'm respectful. Yeah. And we've always been very close because for most of her life, it was just the two of us. So we have a great relationship and she's already so much of a better and happier kid than I ever was. And I think rigor is, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the, it's the absolute best. You I know, agree. like the, when you're, when your children know the boundaries, mm -hmm. but those are, unmovable yep you know like so so i've always said to my to my kids you know, like you have a huge playing field but there's barbed wires yeah. at the end of it you know like so so go and enjoy you know like and 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 let let loose but i you know i like don't push yeah those boundaries you know i like don't don't try to break gates exactly for no reason you know so um And so I have to ask you, how are you doing now? How am I doing? Yep. I'm doing really good. I mean, I have a, a, a great life and I'm just so happy. There are so many things that make me happy. Um, and I get to do exactly what I want to be doing about 99% of the time. And I'm surrounded by animals and kids and people that I love. Um, it's really great. And I'm one of the only people from my teenage years that made it out alive and i feel very very grateful for that are you still in the prison systems <laughs> no i'm not anymore um i pretty much left those when i left new york um and have just been too busy with with other projects and passions to ever get back to it every once in a while i think about it um but i have so much on my plate now that i'm not really looking to add anything Are you around uh, addiction in your career in any shape or form, or no, are you not really no. anymore? No. So you you you're doing something else that has is it is it around help? Uh, I'm a business coach for women business owners, so I it's support definitely. And then I also started my own nonprofit uh, around dog rescue three years ago. 
So dog rescue and women in business is pretty much about 80% of my life. Wow. Yeah. Britt, thank you. Your, your time was, uh, your, your, the time of everyone, you know, like I, you know, like I, I, those that are, you know, like avid listeners are fed up with me saying that, but you know, like I'm, I'm a pure stranger appearing in people inboxes, all of a sudden people just accept, <laughs> you know, like sitting down and talking with me and, and I, I, I am humbled by the response of people and mm -hmm. i am just grateful about you know like people sharing their story taking the time to share their story and just being open with me and where you know i could you you don't know me and you know like you've accepted this you know so for me it's just um it's it's a weird you know like you know like that podcast is something that you know like i started knowing that it would be challenging and it's way less of a challenge that i expected and 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 anxiously thought it would be you know like mm. so i'm just i'm just grateful and for that you know like you're part of that 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 adventure that is changing my life actually you know like mm. i i didn't expect that either you know like i didn't expect it to be quite life-changing mm. like that you know like it is uh yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I'm blown away. You know, like I, I'm I'm kicking your year down with almost five thousand listens and 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 you know, like over sixty something episodes recorded, and you know, like so eighty hour plus of sitting with folks and and just it's crazy. You know, like I never expected that. Mm -hmm. So for that, Brit, you know, like you're now part of the cold turkey. Uh, crew <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for having me i'm i'm really honored to get to connect with you and and reach your listeners awesome is there a way that people can find you you said that you have like a nonprofit and you have a yeah you, you have your own uh, coaching yep. company yeah so my business is in arms coaching like you're giving someone a hug so that's just www.inarmscoaching.com uh people can find me via Brit Bolnick on Facebook and then the dog rescue is pity posse rescue p i t t i e p o s s e pity posse rescue um, and we do a lot on Facebook, uh, but there's also pityposse.com. Awesome. So all of these links and all of these websites and addresses will be in the podcast description. And so you can find them there. And uh, again, Britt, thanks for your time. And it was, uh, it was a pleasure meeting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Bye. -bye. Bye.